and welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Gabia, and this is my co-host Morgan. Hello. This week we're talking about Logan Lucky, which is a new comedy heist movie by Steven Soderbergh. It stars Channing Tatum and Adam Driver as a pair of brothers who plan to rob a NASCAR racetrack. Um, they're helped by their sister, who's played by Riley Keough, and a safecracker named Joe Bang, played by Daniel Craig, and uh, Joe Bang's kind of two useless brothers. Um... This week is a special podcast episode. We have our first ever guest, who is uh, BuzzFeed cybersecurity reporter Kevin Collier. Hey, guys. <laughs> He's not here in his professional capacity. He's here as an expert West Virginian. He kind of reached out to us and was like, can I be on your podcast? And uh, Kevin, wh- why why were you so kind of uh, heated about this movie? Um, I, I obsess over West Virginian, West Virginia's depiction in, in movies uh, to a, a I'm sure an unhealthy degree, which is, you know, why I felt that was why I wanted to rant at you, Gavia. Um, <laughs> and I've never seen one that so presented itself as like authentic, uh, you know, like it really wears its West Virginianness on its sleeve. Like, I mean, can I spoil the end? Like, yeah, I think go ahead. Okay, I mean, it ends with a little girl at a beauty pageant singing country roads and everyone else just cannot help themselves. I got to sing along with it, you know, because they're so moved to tears like they don't hear that song every other day or the you know the cameras will linger over the west virginia license plates or daniel craig's character had a a west virginia outline tattoo on his neck just it felt like it was like really i'm this is a very west virginian movie and it was like it rang so false in a lot of ways which is fine you know you don't have to be super authentic but i felt like it was that was weird to both be so inauthentic and and present the face of West Virginia so much in it. You see, this is why we need you on, because Morgan and I know virtually nothing about West Virginia, and also I can't recognize accents, so when I was listening to all the accents, I was like, this seems acceptable. <laughs> West Virginia has, has has 55 counties, and I've heard kind of like an anecdotal tale that like there are people who can listen to someone talk and know which of the 55 counties you grew up in. Uh, I don't think that's probably literally true, but there are a lot of different West Virginia accents. There's a lot of different Appalachian accents. So, like, the fact that not everybody had the same accent is fine. But there were some really glaring moments that I noticed. Do you want me to tell you what they were? No, go Please. ahead. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> at one point, so I've lost most of my accent. I, When I was a, a, a kid, I kind of came to this realization that if I talk like a hick, um, as I go out into the world, you know, I'm going to college out of state, I'm probably going to live you know, take jobs, I would say, uh, as I got in the world, if I talk like a hick, most people will think I'm dumb. And so I, I think I still have a little bit of it, but most of it is gone, uh, which is probably, there's like a layer of, of, um, psychological something that is relevant here, but I don't, I don't know how to get into that. But one word that I always get called out on is I say lawyer instead of Morgan. How do you say it? How do you say attorney? Uh, lawyer. Yeah, lawyer. Yeah. So it's like it's almost like the most of America says that word as if it's L O I E R instead of L A W. Um, so that's how Morgan, the way you say it is how Channing Tatum's character says it. No West Virginian says that. They say lawyer. <laughs> also, uh, and I think this is true not just West Virginia but but the larger area, um, like probably all the Appalachian Southern like um, regional dialects. You call every woman ma'am. And this, so this is, this comes up in the movie, right? That, that Daniel Craig's character says, he calls this, this woman who's in her forties, maybe fifties. I don't know how old she was. He calls her miss and then ma'am. 
like there's this kind of like important distinction that, that that's like a minor note in in the script but an actual west virginia would just call her ma'am it just I mean, that would never be a question i would call a 17 year old girl a ma'am you know ma'am i when i first moved to california um in my early 20s i remember calling a, a waitress who was in her 20s probably as well ma'am and her getting like really offended at me and i was like wait why does that <laughs> she's like how old do you think i am and i, I didn't I was like, I, this is not an age judgment thing. It's just like, a, I thought you call women man. I feel like every region has to have at least one really high profile movie where it's just like shockingly, shockingly inaccurate. Because <laughs> I feel like the most famous Scottish movie is Braveheart, which is just wall to wall garbage. <laughs> but yeah, I can kind of, I can, yeah, I can definitely see where you're coming from with this. Like, obviously I didn't pick up on anything. And um, when I kind of mentioned to Morgan that you'd picked up on the accents a lot, I kind of thought of uh, a headcanon to explain Daniel Craig, but only Daniel Craig. (laughs) Because, so he, as far as I know, Daniel Craig literally just can't do accents. So I'm very impressed with his work in this because when he did the American remake of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, for some inexplicable reason they made everyone do Swedish accents, even though it's in English. So they had all these American and British actors pretending to be Swedish. And then Daniel Craig, who is also playing a Swedish character, just has his normal accent and there's just no explanation. And I'm pretty sure it's because he just can't do it, right? Um, So this time round, I was impressed with his work. It sounded reasonably West Virginian to my completely uneducated ears. And I've decided that he was an army brat. (laughs) And he grew up moving around and maybe he lived in Europe for a while or something. Maybe he grew up in like an army base in Germany and that's why his accent is kind of like iffy. And his two younger brothers are like 10 years younger. So that's why they have much stronger accents from West Virginia. So that's how I've explained that in my head. (laughs) She emailed this to me and I was like, no. (laughs) No. I mean, he's got the West (laughs) tattoo on his neck. I mean, maybe that's just like a roots thing. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you know, you want to get closer. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm completely, he doesn't deserve this kind of, he's a very entertaining performance and uh, perhaps his accent is maybe not the highest point of that. <laughs> well, so, in counterpart, Craig... I, I, sorry, oh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, you, oh, it's fine. It's, it's your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, with Daniel Craig, I actually, he sounds so absurd that, and the, he's playing a character who's so absurd that it came back around to me to being fine. I mean, I just find him hysterical. Right, like he's he's so larger than life that I just didn't care. I also tend not to be that bothered by accents in general. Um, I'm really impressed when an actor can do a really good one. So, for instance, I remember watching um, Maggie Gyllenhaal in... She's done a couple things where she's played a British person. And I watched... I think I was watching The Honorable Woman with um, Gavs and my mutual friend James... And I sort of turned to him and I was like, this is perfect, right? Like, I'm not just this American person missing that she's playing an, an English person and, and there's nothing that I've, I've missed. And he was like, no, it's great. Um, but most actors can't do them that well. And I just accepted that this is the case and I, you know, whatever. Um, but the thing about Daniel Craig's that I appreciated was that he didn't sound like an English person. And I was like, he, well, at least you've got that down. <laughs> like, he he truly... Like no, he sounded Australian to me. I thought he was Australian. <laughs> he kind of all sounded, looked, and behaved like an alien who came from like the planet man. The, yeah, just the butch planet. <laughs> right. And I thought, great. You know, that's fine. I don't mind. <laughs> of all the characters in this, and I totally agree that the movie is is wearing its location on its sleeve in a big way. 
he is the one who is the most out there in terms of being just, you know, a ludicrous. He's not exactly playing a caricature because I think that all of the characters in the film are drawn specifically enough that they felt I really liked this movie. So we have well, it's it's a kind here. of Coen Brothers situation, right? Yeah. It's like very specific characters. Right. Mm-hmm. But they are also mostly somewhat larger than life, but he is playing the most larger than life of all of them. So it seems slightly appropriate that the way he speaks is absurd. I mean, I remember watching the trailer when it dropped a few months ago and I immediately was like, I'm going to love this movie. This looks great. And there were a couple people online who were like, his accent is so bad. And I just thought, I do not care. (laughs) The way he pronounces the word incarcerated in the trailer, literally, if that was just a one, if that was like a vine, I would still see the movie. If it was like just a vine of him saying the word incarcerated, I was like, sign me the fuck up. (laughs) Pretty much. But yeah, um, I feel like there's been kind of an extensive tangent onto the topic of accents, which I think no, we're no, no, get and, back and to kind of, no, no, this is what, I like this is what heaven's here for. I like for. the movie in general. It, it's like, I like, I like Soderbergh and I don't want to be a big hater on this. It's just the, you know, you know, I, I see West Virginia being like, so on it. I makes me want to talk. I mean, that's, that's why you're here. I was, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I was just thinking, um, we're going to kind of circle back to like the West Virginia stuff later, but I think because, I think most of our listeners do tend to kind of watch the movie first. Um, but I think we should give some kind of general background for what this movie is for the few people who haven't and are just listening to us because they're loyal listeners. Um, so yeah, Morgan, we're both really into Soderbergh, who is yes. a very prolific filmmaker. Allegedly, he retired. Um, that did not happen. No. Shockingly, he came back. It was a huge surprise to everyone. In between his last film and this one, during his retirement, he shot two seasons of television and something else. And I guess he, he was the DP on Magic Mike 2 and then also produced some stuff. I mean, he never retired, but it's fine. He's back again. <laughs> yeah, his retirement is like the normal gap that people leave between movies. Yes. But yeah, I think kind of the, the idea behind this one is that Obviously, Soderbergh, um, he does like a mixture of big blockbusters and lower budget films like Magic Mike, which also still have really famous people in them. Um, But the ones that basically everyone's seen are Ocean's Eleven. And this is kind of meant to be the reverse Ocean's Eleven, where instead of it being really glamorous, um, everyone in it is working class. It's kind of blue collar criminals. And all of the kind of technology they use to break into the NASCAR track is like, you know, they make a bomb in a supermarket plastic bag kind of thing, which is great. It's funny you say reverse. I was thinking of it as just like a uh, scale down or like placed in a different, you know, just different, different scenario. But it is kind of a... It's definitely kind of, it follows the same genre tropes because it's like really clearly a heist movie because they have that heist movie cliche soundtrack in between all of the country music. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's literally a gag or a joke at the very end of the movie that references Ocean's Eleven as every single review has pointed out. So there's a degree of self-awareness. They, they're on the TV the right at the and, end. Yeah. It says they refer to like a, oh, new, a newscaster yeah. said something about it being Ocean Seven Eleven. So they he clearly knows what he's doing. And I think in an interview he said something about how he was interested in exactly what you just said, it being a more working class story, but still being in that genre vain because 
I think he said something about Ocean's Eleven being really fun, but basically just champagne maybe was the metaphor that he used. Like it's basically a superficial movie and that this he thought had more going on under the surface, which I think is fair. I mean, Ocean's Eleven is great in many ways and this isn't a criticism of it, but there's not really anything. I don't think there's a deeper message to Ocean's Eleven, right? Well, that's why I kept thinking of Magic Mike during this movie, right? Because it's very much, I mean, obviously they both have Channing Tatum in these quite similar roles. I mean, not similar on the surface, but it's kind of the idea of having to do like a really weird job because the economy screws you over in America. It's like a capitalist garbage hellhole and you don't have health insurance, which is the Magic Mike, the first one, um, which I would recommend, although I think XXL is actually the superior film. Magic Mike is quite a depressing movie. You know, it's about a guy who has to become a stripper and he does enjoy it and it's portrayed in a positive way, but it's like he really wants to kind of start a business. And then XXL is more kind of cheerful and it's about friendship and it's a comedy. But um, this film is very much about, also about like why he has to do the crime because Ocean's Eleven is kind of a fluff piece and it's a remake of a movie where the entire purpose is just so all the like actors can go on vacation together for three months and have really cool fun times on a movie set and this one it's like he gets laid off from his construction job because he has an injury and it's uh, insurance liability so he ends up having to rob a, car- a NASCAR track with his brother who has one arm because he's a military veteran but it's also really funny <laughs> <laughs> Well, it was funny because I saw the trailer, as I was saying, it was a few months ago, and I immediately was like, I'm in. I'm all all about this. And But it looks in the trailer like it's just kind of a zany heist movie. And I don't think the trailer is exactly mismarketing it because that is a lot of what it's doing. But from the first scene, which is Channing Tatum with his daughter fixing a car, it seems it seemed pretty obvious to me watching that there was going to be something else going on and that's not to say that this movie is incredibly complex or profound but I found it quite interesting in a way that I wasn't expecting which perhaps I should have because obviously Soderbergh is always doing something and I think that I was thinking about Magic Mike a lot and what's interesting about those movies is that the Magic Mike and Magic Mike XXL, as I was saying, he Soderbergh was the DP on the second one. He didn't direct it, but I think he also produced and edited it. So he was obviously really involved in making it have basically nothing to do with each other and are tonally completely dissimilar. And I agree that XXL is superior, but I remember going and seeing the first one at like a sort of pre-screening and I have never seen so many women so just like ecstatic to be at a movie like people were screaming at the screen it was really fun but it's as you say a really depressing movie it's pretty fucked up it's really dark and I think that he's retreading some of the same territory here and I mean there was no jokes for like the first five or ten minutes which is quite unusual because when I was watching it first I was like I was actually thinking like did the trailers lie to me about this yeah because there was no humor until adam driver shows up and then literally every single thing adam driver and and uh daniel craig do is just hysterically funny yeah and channing tatum kind of provides the pathos i would say he's funny also but he's has the role that's more serious which makes sense i think not that the two of them are in any way incapable of doing pathos but channing tatum is good in terms of having the you know being the heart of a movie. 
he's good at that role, as we have seen many times before, and Soderbergh loves him, so I felt like that worked. Uh, can I point something out while we're talking about the 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 opening scene? Please. Um, do you guys remember what what Channing Tatum's character is, is talking about? Are they kind of like he's he's kind of going on a rant himself? Yes. Why he's don't you talking, describe it for our listeners? He's he's talking about the song Country Roads, and which he, he says he loves. It's his favorite song, which, you know, is the famous John Denver song, Take Me Home, Country Roads, to a place I belong, West Virginia. Um, and a funny thing about that song is all the geographical signifiers in that song. Um, Blue Ridge Mountains, Shenandoah River. You know, th- those areas uh, or th- those features are in West Virginia, but they're more prominently in Virginia, which is where John Denver was. But this is the this is the rant that the character is going on. That he knows that the songwriters weren't actually in West Virginia when they wrote it, but he just likes the song anyway. So there's a real self awareness to that. But then he's the movie still closes with like a, yeah. a sing along of that song. Yeah. So I don't know. Is that, is that super self aware or is that kind of I think popping out? Soderbergh, it's definitely self aware, and I yeah. think also from the screenwriter, who's kind of an enigma. The screenwriter is Rebecca Blunt, a woman about whom nobody knows anything, and there's kind of a lot of speculation that Rebecca Blunt either doesn't exist or is kind of a, a pseudonym for Soderbergh or maybe Soderbergh's wife, who is not a screenwriter. Um, so Morgan, I think you kind of dug up a quote from Soderbergh kind of basically refuting this. Yeah, so he tweeted under his Twitter account, which does not have his name on it, but which is him. He's a he's a character. His wrote, of Twitter is amazing, by the way. We'll link to yeah, the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> He tweeted, Rebecca Blunt, which is the credited name of the screenwriter, is not a pseudonym for a male writer. She is a woman and she wrote Logan Lucky entirely by herself and seen. And I feel that that would be a really wild thing to tweet if he had written it himself. I just think that that would be nuts. I think that there are male people in Hollywood who would do that. But I don't think Soderbergh would. Maybe this is me being very naive, but it feels to me like a woman did write this. What we know about that woman is nothing. I mean, I mean, she's allegedly born and bra- born and raised in West Virginia and now lives in Britain. And none of the actors have met her, and they've only communicated by email, which is part of the reason why she's such a mystery. Right. But who knows? But I definitely don't think Soderbergh wrote it himself. He tends not to write his own movies in general, like anyway. So it makes sense that this would be somebody else's. The story is that this woman passed on to him asking for help finding someone to direct it. And he liked it so much that he decided to do it himself, which sounds totally plausible to me. Although, again, who knows? But it's all kind of mysterious. But if the story of her biography is accurate. That would make the song thing interesting. But I definitely think there's a level of self-awareness about that. And that scene to me, you know, as a New Englander, (laughs) I was thinking way more about the stuff with his kid than any of the sort of cultural signifiers. There's a, the sort of significance of it in terms of the, plot is that Channing Tatum has this relationship with his daughter which is a bit fraught because he has an ex-wife who doesn't like him very much and etc etc and this is a scene that is meaningful because it's his daughter sort of sending him a message via this 
song that has a lot of cultural baggage in general. It was funny, I, actually. Sorry, um, yeah. I was just going to say, I went to this movie with a friend of mine who's also from Massachusetts, and I was saying as we left, like, I'm going to have that song stuck in my head for days, which I have. And she was like, oh, I don't really know it well enough for that. And I couldn't believe it because I feel like I've heard that song a million times in my life and I'm from Boston. So I can't really imagine. <laughs> I learned that song in ukulele in college. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's prominent. When I first went to college, first time I ever lived outside of West Virginia uh, in, in Ohio, it, um, a girl in my dorm, upon meeting me and asked where I was from, uh, instantly was just like, hey, can we sing that song together? Like that was just like the go to and like... <laughs> It, oh, it, it travels with you. Yeah. So obviously there's a lot of issues uh, with this film in terms of like West Virginian authenticity. And I'm kind of curious, especially regarding what they're claiming about the writer. Were there any details that you kind of picked up on Kevin where you were like, this really resonates with me or this is something that I feel like they've, they've accurately portrayed or researched or was it kind of wall to wall? Like, nah, it was definitely not wall to wall. Nah. Uh, it's, um, I, I like some of the characters. You know what I really liked was the cl- the middle class versus working class distinction between uh, Chang Tatum's character and and his his uh, daughter's stepfather. What's that actor's name? Oh, I can't remember. But it's, oh, douchebag. Um, he played Roy on The Office <laughs> years ago. Oh, that's that guy. That's oh God, yeah. What I think of, yeah. That, yeah, Playing that's a real great. asshole in this. Oh, he was great. I felt like they're they're kind of the way I thought the clothes looked appropriate and and the way that um that Channing Tatum was like was a little tighter with money and the 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 stepdad had like the, the huge yard and you know he's not rich but you know he's got a car dealership and and he drives like a a, a new what's he drive anyway, not he, a stick it's a sport car. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's a thing. Oh my, totally. If you if you're not like a good driver, and I think this is probably true for a whole lot of Americans, not unique to West Virginia. But if you're not a good driver, and you're a man, that's very demasculating. Or is that the word demasculating? It's it's the opposite. Thing. Yeah. It's the opposite of being like a a real man. Yeah. Um, and so that was like a I feel like that was an appropriate character joke. Yeah, I think the the class stuff, which we were sort of referencing earlier, is definitely. Well, I mean, the best thing about this movie is the humor, but the best thing about the movie in terms of the more deeper content stuff, if you will, is the way the movie depicts class, which I found pretty sophisticated and just in a general way, obviously not the more specific stuff, which I wouldn't pick up on. And I thought that the fact that they managed to get that in while simultaneously having the movie be really funny. I mean, I laughed a lot at this film, was really smart. And then it makes the fact that they're stealing all of this money kind of more interesting. Like, it's not like they're sitting around harping on this or giving speeches, but the undercurrent very much is a sort of not quite Robin Hood thing, but there's a little bit of that at the end, which I found kind of entertaining. And the fact that there's a veteran in a central role is interesting because that's not that common either, except yeah. maybe in action movies where it's presented in a totally absurd. That's a way, great point. Which which I liked a lot. Um, and, and it's obviously was... perfectly well cast. I mean, Spielberg's yeah. kind of known for really good casting, but 
they've got Channing Tatum and Adam Driver in two like pitch perfect roles for them because obviously Adam Driver he's got a lot of range like he does really kind of subdued dramatic roles and obviously most people know him for either girls or being Kylo Ren in Star Wars Um, but in real life he is a military veteran he does a lot of kind of military outreach charity work and that sort of thing and he's also a very kind of quiet person in public life he's very much not a celebrity type and I feel like this is kind of perfectly selected role for him to be playing. Yes. Because he has great comedic timing, but it's also kind of got that background message to it. Yeah. You never really question in the movie the, the you know, it's it's not that it makes it seem like these guys are on like a moral quest, but they're never presented as immoral. And they're, you know, even Notions Love and What, that was like some sort of revenge plot, sort of, that George Clooney was getting revenge against some asshole casino guy. Yes. And there's yeah. none of that, but there's just like, there's no judgment at all. These guys are pretty screwed over by life and lack of opportunity. And, you know, they tried to work and they tried to, you know, to serve and uh, life's not panned out. So there's no, there's no sense of judgment at all. They're just like, yeah, go, go rob a NASCAR race, you know? Right. And also just the presentation of the NASCAR race is like the way they, they shoot it. And it's obviously like, it's probably weirder for me because I'm not exposed to NASCAR, but it really did remind me a lot of the movie Nashville, which we did a podcast about a couple of months ago. Because all this military pomp and circumstance and all the kind of the patriotism stuff, the massively overblown commercialism, which is obviously, you know, a theme. Uh- <laughs> well, yeah, and I was just going to say about Ocean's Eleven, a movie that is, you know, great. But we watched that over Christmas, Gab. And the thing that was appalling about it, watching it as an adult, is is the sort of George Clooney gets back at whoever's playing the sort of bad guy who owns the it's casino. So sexist. Because so he sexist. took Julia Roberts from him. And you're just like, <laughs> oh my fucking God. Like All the heist stuff and the sort of buddy comedy stuff with the guys is absolutely fantastic. The movie looks great. It's super fun to watch. Every time Julia Roberts, bless her, obviously wonderful, comes on the screen, the movie just implodes because it's such a oh my god it's a nightmare and so if you replace that horrible sort of motivation slash there's not really a moral but with what this movie is doing i think it becomes much more palatable not to say that it's like a better or worse film but the core of it i think is more sound which i appreciated and also like soderbergh knows what's up I mean, whether or not this film was written by women, which I think it probably was, and I hope it was, even though he made Ocean's Eleven, which is a sexist nightmare, as well as being entertaining, his later films, it's really clear that he understands, even if he's not making very many female-led movies, like, he made Haywire, um, which was great, but um, Magic Mike, I think, basically tells it all. Like, he knows what's up. And in this film, while it is kind of very much about white men it also kind of knows that it is it's not sort of thoughtlessly being like we're just going to cast some dudes because it's about kind of masculinity and being a dad and being a veteran and what have you and then the female characters are are great you know um weirdly uh hillary swank is credited really high in this if you've seen posters for the movie but not seen the movie it's all like hillary swank's in this movie and it's like well technically she is in this movie (laughs) but katie holmes is in this movie a lot more and i didn't know katie holmes was in it at all um and the main character the main kind of female lead is riley keogh who is playing their sister and she's amazing and has such good costumes she's wearing like neon pink bras and like a fishnet top for the whole film and looks incredible there's a scene where she paints some cockroaches that's truly just wild. I was impressed by her acting because I don't think I would have been able to deal with that. 
It's like, wow. Well, she was in Mad Max. And once you've been in the desert for six months, like living in the dust bowl Fair. with five other supermodels, I feel like you're basically like, paint some nail polish and cockroaches, completely fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I felt like she possibly could have had more to do. But yeah. yeah, it wasn't, I didn't feel like it was a problem in terms of like it being sexist. It just could have, there could have been more. But I, I found the movie in terms of um, pacing and plotting actually quite tight while still feeling loose, which is a complete conundrum. It didn't feel like it was moving wildly fast or um, was like hugely pacey, but I don't think they really wasted much time on much of anything. So it makes sense that the secondary characters weren't given a massive amount of time to do much. So I kind of understand why she didn't have a ton of screen time, but it would have been nice if there had been a little bit more because I really enjoyed her. The best stuff that she gets is of course, razzing the the new husband about his cars, which he doesn't appreciate. Highly entertaining. And for the record, I thought she did way more work on her accent than um, say Adam driver did. Yeah. Well, she was also in um, American honey last year playing a sort of similar character similar wardrobe well she's kind of an indie movie darling she does a lot of very highly respected low budget films which may possibly be a very conscious choice to avoid people being like oh she's elvis presley's granddaughter yeah so she may have been been a little prepared from that but yeah she's doing doing good work i would say and Sebastian Stan, we cannot oh stop. We cannot finish the podcast without mentioning the wonderful Sebastian Stan, who I did not know was in this film. So it was like a wonderful, wonderful gift. It was like just getting flowers delivered to your door. Is <laughs> Sebastian Stan in a small comedic role, which is he should really be in so many comedy movies for like five minutes. In this, he's playing this really kind of pretentious. Like he's playing, he's playing a NASCAR driver, but he's sort of one of these athletes who's like obsessed with kind of honing his body to its best. Um, so there's a lot of kind of ludicrous yoga scenes and things where someone's trying to make him drink an energy drink, and he's like, "My glucose levels are perfectly balanced." He talks about software, which I think is food. His food is his software or something. I was and his operating system was his dying. body, and it was really wonderful because it was like an analogy that didn't make sense. <laughs> There's a bit where he's sort of huffing in breath really quickly is some kind of yoga exercise that the entire theater was just dying with laughter. I, it's a really small part, but it was, it was well cast. I felt <laughs> highly amusing. And, and also playing into the class stuff because they show quite briefly, but effectively his ridiculous, enormous house and they're not, they don't really go out of their way to make a point about it, but you just get the sense of how ludicrous the whole His job situation. is to go on a diet for 11 months of the year and then drive a car for 10 minutes. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, okay, that's fine. And like, I just, oh, it really was, I found it quite enjoyable to go to the movies and just like laugh a lot at something because that has not been... I have. I don't know if I've gone to anything this year that was just funny. I mean, I went and saw Dunkirk twice. <laughs> that was not really. Like... Oh yeah, for our listeners who saw the original Dunkirk podcast, I said I'd check back in once I'd seen it in seventy millimeter, which I did today. 
And I can confirm that I'm pretty sure I saw a difference and it was good, but I can't, I cannot truthfully say that it was like an enlightening magical experience <laughs> for me. Uh, the, I, I did go on IMAX and I think the 70 millimeter IMAX was, was pretty intense, but that was $27. So it really was an investment. <laughs> <laughs> New York is great. <laughs> so Kevin, while we have you here, I would love to, to know what, examples you you have on hand of particularly egregious or particularly successful uh, depictions of West Virginia in popular culture if this was sort of a moderate failure perhaps I seems to be the, the tone I love that you asked me that <laughs> while we, if, if we've got you we have to make yeah. use of your expertise yeah um I really like the West Virginians in um Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Do you guys see that movie? No. What? I thought that was such a fandom movie. I'm aware <laughs> of it. This is not the kind of movie that Morgan watches. Morgan is very much kind of a hybrid cinema person. I would watch that film, but I haven't yet because there's a lot of movies. Okay. I mean, real quick, it's like a one sentence pitch of the movie, which is just these two uh, kind of redneck guys in somewhere in rural West Virginia are, are just hanging out at a, at a cabin. And then nearby, there's uh, the effectively like a scream or, or Jason type horror slasher movie thing happening. And they think it's the rednecks, but it's, uh, I can't, I can't explain what happened. Um, Isn't the premise kind of the, there's a pair of rednecks and people kind of assume that they're responsible for horror movie antics, but they're just trying to help and it yes. all goes horribly wrong. Yeah. 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 Um, and so really, I mean like the, the, there's that movie about the, there was also some West Virginia, I forget what it was called uh, a couple of years back. Maybe it was a series where it's kind of like these, this inbred family of cannibals are eating tourists in West Virginia. I do not recall this. <laughs> I don't recall this, but is this one that you're highlighting as a realistic depiction? No, no, it's the opposite. <laughs> this versus evil is, is good because ah, right. it's like, it's the opposite. And I felt like the, the rednecks were just, just normal, nice guys. You know, they weren't like exaggerated. Um, they weren't personifications of class yeah. or of, of ignorance or of, inbreeding or something awful like it, they were just like guys who were trying to go camping and it was funny like that was it i like we are marshall a lot i'm from that town mm -hmm. uh, and they did i mean like the accents are all over the place there and I, I thought that was fine they um they got a lot of like local landmarks and local people in there so they, they really made the effort um did you ever see american ultra no i didn't even though i love jesse eisenberg and i love kristen stewart so um but i have not seen that yet I think it's a very unremarkable movie, but the, you know, the, the gist is that, can I spoil it a little bit? Like, go ahead, please. This decommissioned CIA agent, I think he's CIA he's something, some, some special intelligence agent. He had, kind of had his memory wiped a little bit and he's just hanging out in, in rural West Virginia, but he just thinks he's a guy in, in West Virginia and nobody has any accents. You don't even really meet any actual West Virginians. It's just this guy and his, his girlfriend in the middle of nowhere and they're bored is kind of much of the of the West Virginianness of the movie. And I thought that was great. It's not again, not <laughs> like, you know, some big West Virginia's not like some some token or, or some some metaphor for a, a, something bigger going on in America. It's just like they needed a place where a guy was bored and didn't have a lot of opportunities and they put it there. Because that's I think that's fair for a lot yep. of people. But no, so the, the, the inbred cannibal movie was, was is bad. 
Wrong turn. That's what it's called. Yeah, I did not hear of that one either, which is perhaps unsurprising. Okay. <laughs> given my <laughs> cultural reach. You're not into horror movies in general? No, not my thing. Okay. Do you know how many people in New York, when when they learn I'm from West Virginia, do the deliverance? Do, 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 do. <laughs> what? It's so fucked up. What is it's, that? You ever see Deliverance? I, I don't think I even know what that is. It's like a classic movie. It's I've not, heard of it. I've heard the title. Yeah, but I know of it. It's about these We're guys. We're revealing our, our cultural gaps here. <laughs> yeah. It's about it's these guys in I think they're from Atlanta and they go camping in this in this rural uh, Georgia area and find this inbred family that that kidnaps and rapes one of them. It's it's really fucked up, <laughs> but. People, people still make that kind of like reference to me, and they think it's so inappropriate. Even though it's also it's set in Georgia, which is like hundreds of miles away, it's like not even anywhere close. That's really weird. Yeah, revealing our our northeastern cultural biases. Oh yeah, maybe your listeners. I, I, I'm in New York. Yeah, <laughs> the center of podcasting operations. Well, I think that that is about all we have to say about Logan Lucky. Thank you to Kevin for joining us for this special episode. Thank you to everyone for listening. We are not quite sure yet what our topic for next week is going to be, so tune in for a surprise. And as ever, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating or review on iTunes. It's how we find new listeners. And otherwise, you can find us on overinvestedpodcast.com, on Twitter at overinvestedpod, or on Tumblr at overinvestedpodcast. Thanks. Bye.